Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everyone, to Buff Hub, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Steve Vega, and it has been a long time coming. Uh, I, I almost, literally, as I'm about to say your name, I almost said your old podcast, because that's how mm. long I've known you for. Uh, you used to cover the Sabres, but Pro Ant is here on Buff Hub. Dude, thank you so much for joining me again. It's been a long time, and I'm so proud of how far you've come with uh, your podcast. And, you know, I say podcast, but you're doing video, you're doing everything. It, it's so cool to see what you're doing at Cover One. How's, how's it going, man? Dude, it's going really good. Um, I cherish being a part of Cover One and, you know, the platform they give me and everything that I'm able to do. But I also cherish you and you bringing me on again. And I love that you you brought the tie-in. You are... You are one of the very first people to ever like reach out to me and ask me to be um, on like someone else's or on like your show, like one of the very first people. I'll remember, you know, uh, sitting there, I was playing Last of Us 2. It was the summer and you reached out and I was like, oh, I got a message from like this guy and I knew of your show already and he asked me to be on and we've done several episodes together. Yeah, you knew me back when it was uh, Wagons and Warpaths and I did Bills yeah. and Sabres, but it was more Bills at the time because hockey wasn't really going on with COVID and everything. And yeah, you were one of the uh, very first people to you know, give me props and appreciate me. And, uh, you know, that, that, that will always for like mean a lot to me. You'll, uh, you'll always have a place in my heart and my mind. So anytime you ever need me, I'm always down and I'm pumped as hell to be here Aww. on the show. Cause I always have a good time, man. <laughs> Dude. I now I gush every time I get a chance to get you on this show. Uh, it's been a while, but I know, you know, had you on several times before and, um, you, you've done me a couple of solids when some people had some things coming up and, you were just like, I'll be there. And it, it was just like instantaneous. It just felt like a, a brotherhood. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, we, get, we get along real well. I'm, <laughs> I'm always there for you. And also too, like from a logistics standpoint, the time zone difference works so well because you'll be like, yo, dude, are you available at like, like 10 p.m. Eastern to record? And I'll just be like, yeah, my wife's asleep and I'm just always awake. So fine with me. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. It's so funny. Like <laughs> this is a really bad habit I have, but every I've noticed every time I'm doing a podcast now, I am wired and I'm a little okay. bit buzzed. 
So I have coffee and I have a beer. Is that weird? Ooh. Do you do that? Have you ever done that? Ooh, you know what? No, I I roll pretty much stone cold other than like water, I guess. But I know I, I know for a fact every episode we've done together, both when I've had you on disguise coverage and when I've been on the buff hub, I know at the very least you always crack a beer right before we start. And then I know you've done coffee on a couple, but I mean, I guess, <laughs> and then you're mixing them together and you're just you're just running hot, man. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Shout out to uh, Black Rifle Coffee Company because I'm absolutely addicted to the cold coffee and the hot coffee. And now they have, it's so cool. They have like this little can. It it looks like a little ammo can um, that you get your Keurig cups in. So I feel so special every time I go to Bass Pro Shop and get one now. Look at you. Look at you living that baller lifestyle over there. Dude, it's all about the Keurig machine. No more coffee pots. I'm sorry. You're a French presser. uh, I don't mean to offend you, but uh, come on, grow up. Let's go. Keurig all the way. It changed the game. It's so easy. Like everybody, it's so easy. You just literally take a pod and you pop it in, you hit a button and coffee. Like you don't have to do anything else. It's, it's revolutionary. It is. It is. Well, now I got to switch gears into a completely different direction. From oh, we're not going to keep talking about the Keurig. So all my notes. This are is okay. It happened last week. If we start talking about beer, we start talking about coffee. Now I'm going to go down into a rabbit hole. We're not. We're not going to talk about sports at all. No, don't want that. Uh, we have to talk about sports because some of us are still healing from a brutal loss. And guess what, guys? We're going to get into that this episode. This episode is labeled the brutal Buffalo Bills. <laughs> And I am so excited. You know, we're either winning brutally mm. or we're losing brutally. And, um, you know, it's funny how, you know, on Twitter, I, I go on there, you know, I have some fun. I just tweet a couple of things here and there. And especially through the games, I like just interacting with the fans. But it's interesting, you know, uh, sometimes the tweets you least expect uh, get the most attention. I literally mm-hmm. just went on there and I just said, every time the Bills lose, it's always brutal. And I got like, over 8,500 impressions and people retweeting it, liking it. Um, and it, it was so, it kind of blew my mind away on how something so simple hit home so mm-hmm. quickly for so many people. Um, you know, and we're so immersed into Bill's history. And, uh, you know, we were talking about all of these podcasts that are starting to come out of the woodwork now. <laughs> and uh, it's, it, you know, call it what you will, but I think it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, I, I was gone for about, uh, six months um, overseas or whatever. And um, I came back and there's like podcasts everywhere about the bills now. And uh, you know, we're, we're all feeling what's going on and we're all experiencing a little bit of PTSD, but you know, (laughs) what was so crazy is that I, that, that, you know, that topic came up and you know, then I ran into uh, your video as I was uh, about to hit you up on Twitter um, and then I realized, wait a minute, oh, you're my boy. I can text you. I don't yes, know why I was going to message you. I feel like such an idiot. You ever do that? You like message someone on Twitter, like, wait a minute, I have Dude, their I went to do it um, <laughs> earlier when you had, so you text me, like, run a show stuff and everything. I went to go answer you on Twitter. And then I was like, what? Am, where's the messages? And I was like, I'm an idiot. We text all the time. I was like, yeah. stupid. I did the same thing. Yeah, I did the same thing. Yeah, I felt, I felt like an idiot. But, um, <laughs> I loved what you talked about. It was a very simple topic that went into various um, branches of thought. And, you know, I want you to elaborate, give a little synopsis on the topic was where the bills rank in the AFC and why. Uh. Um, And you had great guests on. Uh, I forgot that. I know the last name's Tyson. Uh, You also had a Ferrell Sterling, which shout out to you, man. Um, I like what you do out there. I'll be trying to invite you pretty soon onto Buff Hub. So, and have the floor here. 
obviously you're you're an expert at analysis with uh, what's going on. Uh, you know, with with techniques and and coverages. Um, you know, you run the podcast disguise coverage, and everyone enjoys it. Uh, typically, you know, that gets on there, and um, you know, it's 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 such a cool thing what you're doing. Uh, and and I want to I want to get your thoughts on what happened with the Titans and what happened when you decided to talk about this with uh, your two guests. Yeah. So first of all, I appreciate the you know, the kind words and the flowers you continue to throw my way. I appreciate you. And yeah, it was, I, I went into this week thinking like, okay, that, you know, obviously you got the bye week and you also have like a brutal loss. And then it was like, well, you know, what kind of topic could you have for this week? And I was like, you know, I've done this before going into the bye week, just kind of like, even though the bye week isn't like middle of the season or whatever, but kind of like an ability to reset, take a step back and be like, okay, like what's our record? Who are we as a team? What losses, what victories and everything like that. And you know, my first guest who you mentioned was uh, Nate Tice of the Athletic Football Show. He's tremendous, and he's somebody who I learn things from, and he helps me understand the game. And he's entertaining as hell as well. So, just an absolute great follow. Um, and I wanted to bring him on. You know, him being a, a former quarterback and knowing the game so well, we've got in the AFC a lot of quarterback led. I mean, every team is led by their quarterback, but there's so much quarterback focus going on in the AFC with the bills and Josh Allen and the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, and obviously Patrick Mahomes in the Kansas city chiefs. And so I wanted to look at that AFC landscape from that perspective and with him and um, you know, we broke down where the bills rank in the AFC and um, who the major threats are on the top three teams in the AFC and why, and you know, what, what will hold the chiefs back and what the Ravens could be and what is Tennessee and what Cleveland could be and things like that. And, um, broke that down and he was awesome. And really going into the Titans focus, you know, that you mentioned about with Bill's Titans, he and I both noticed the same thing, ironically with the disguise coverage, no pun intended, Tennessee (laughs) did some things, you know, the, the Bills are tremendous at disguising coverage, especially from the safety perspective. They are so blessed to have Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and have them be able to play both safety designations. The Bills do not have a free safety and a strong safety. They just have two safeties. And that allows the Bills to manipulate so much of their coverage pre-snap and show one look and drop into another. And they did that very successfully against Kansas City. They showed zone coverage and dropped into cover one and ran in cover one robber um, where you have one safety deep playing man coverage underneath and the other safety comes and takes away that middle of the field. That's how Micah Hyde got that interception on the pick six against Tyreek Hill. He came up in that robber, played high to low, read Mahomes' eyes, saw Kelsey break across the middle at about 10 yards, went to take that took it away, saw that Mahomes was going to go underneath and go to that low, go to Tyreek Hill. So he left Kelsey, flowed right down to Tyreek Hill and got lucky with a deflection and a pick six. But if Tyreek Hill catches that pass, Hyde sticks him and he's short of the first down. And Poyer did the same thing earlier in the game on a fourth down stop and had a pass break up um, against Mahomes in Bills territory. So the Bills did a great job of disguising coverage. It was a large part of what they did against Kansas City that worked showing zone coverage pre-snap and dropping into man, showing man coverage pre-snap and dropping into zone. They did a great job of that. The Titans did a good job of that against the Bills. And the Titans, you saw the one stat, I believe in the third quarter, that it showed the Titans had only blitzed on three of 39 snaps at that point in the game. And Tennessee was getting pressure 
not because they were blitzing the house or because they were just having crazy games up front with the defensive line, but because of the disguise, the, the, their ability to disguise coverage on the back end. And they were throwing these creeper and these simulated pressures, which are when you still rush four, but one of your rushers is somebody else like a linebacker or a corner. The Titans did that a lot. They would show, okay, we're going to rush four. And then one of those defensive linemen would drop back and the fourth rusher would be the slot corner or it would be one of the linebackers. And they confused the Bills offensive line. They confused Josh Allen at times. They even confused some of the wide receivers. Nate Tice and I on the episode last night were talking about how you saw several snaps where Josh Allen would get the ball and he was he read what was happening and he'd be like, okay, the slot corner came Cole's the hot route. I'm going to fire to Cole. But the way the Tennessee did it, Cole didn't read it right away, which is something that usually doesn't happen. Beasley and Manny Sands and Stefan Diggs are tremendous at leveraging coverage and understand when he, understanding what they're seeing. But they were able to confuse Beasley a little bit, and he had a little bit of a hitch in his giddy-up, and he wasn't making the reads right away. And sometimes Josh Allen wasn't either, and we saw protection fail a little bit up front. And whether that's on the offensive line or on Josh Allen not identifying it, either way, at the end of the day, the Titans were able to play some games and confuse Buffalo a little bit and do just enough to keep them off balance and make them inefficient, especially when they got into the red zone. You know, I know say that. something. Go ahead. I want to say something because Tell me. there's something that I, I, I couldn't help but feel good about after this two-game um, situation is that, number one, great. This is exactly what happened last year. We got the Chiefs. We got the Titans, right? And number two, this is perfect preparation for the future mm. in the playoffs because this is what it's going to be like, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to have disguise coverages almost every single drive like crazy, even with only four rushing. It's just which four are rushing or with five rushing, which five are rushing. And the thing is, it's like I came out of this game. Yes, it was a brutal loss. It felt terrible, but you're thankful that this happened early on in the season to get you mentally prepared, I, I, if I'm if I'm if I'm in the team, this is what it's going to be like in the playoffs. It's not going to let up. You may end up seeing Kansas City in the wild card, mm. and in the second round, you may end up seeing the Titans. Let alone you still got Baltimore, which they're no joke this season. Sammy Watkins is a lot more dynamic for their offense. Mm. Um, but a quick thing about the Titans, they're they're not scrubs. Mm-hmm. These guys have studs, and yes, this was where I wanted to get to. It's like. How, how do you feel if we wanted to grade like what happened on a scale of one to 10, because they had a depleted, you know, um, secondary, but yet you're looking at who else is on their team, Bud Dupree, Jeffrey Simmons, Rashad Evans, Harold Landry, Kevin Byard. I mean, if anyone still goes out, you still got to deal with those guys and they can throw them all over the field, how they want um, for their position. You can line them up wherever you want, but it's interesting, right? Because you're thinking when you start to see all these injuries start to mount up on the other side of the field, oh, the Bills are about to blow them out. And it didn't happen. And to yeah. your point, what you're saying, that's what I love about what you were saying. This is why I'm excited to have you on. It's that you just literally laid out everything perfectly to explain to everyone, um, maybe who isn't um, understanding of how coverages work or whatever, they were able to take what they had with their foundational pieces on defense and still 
disguise it well enough against a stellar offense in Buffalo where everyone was healthy until Dawson Knox went out into the fourth quarter. Yeah. Into the second half, excuse me. Yeah, for sure. They, you know, and because we're also looking at it from from the perspective, right? Like, I don't want to give too much credit to Tennessee's the bills the bills did put up 31 points and if we're just looking at it from a passing perspective you know Josh Allen went 35 of 47 for 353 yards and three touchdowns so yeah he was able to do some things but yeah Tennessee was able to make the bills inefficient at times again especially in the red zone by disguising coverage on the back end running those simulated pressures up front and then playing the you know the games on the back end with the two high shell and dropping more people into coverage, which that's that's nothing nuanced. You know, if when you get down in the red zone, you have less space because you have the back of the end zone as playing as like a net that you can't go past. And if you drop more people into coverage, there it's hard to fit the ball in because there's less space and there's more people in it. Tennessee was able to execute there. And then at the end of the day, you mentioned some of the guys. Tennessee does not have a good defense holistically, but they do have some studs. Harold Landry is a stud. Jeffrey Simmons is a stud. Bud Dupree got paid very handsomely to come over from Pittsburgh. He's still coming off of that Achilles injury. I don't think he's where the Titans want him to be or where he once was, but he's still got some pop. Bayard is super legit on the back end. And at the end of the day, the Bills move the ball up and down the field. But what we saw was, at the end of the day, their studs made plays. We saw Simmons come up with the sack on Josh Allen when it was 31-27. That forced the Bills into second and 17, and they punted it back to the Titans. Then the Titans ended up scoring to take the lead, 34-31. We saw Simmons make the play on that fourth down stop. We saw Bayard um, get the deflection and the interception. We saw Harold Landry generate some pressures. Tennessee did enough when you have a defense that is deficient but still has top-level players at a variety of levels, you can still win. You're not going to stop the offense every time. In ESPN's coverage on the Monday night game, I didn't love it, but Lewis Riddick said some things that were pretty spot-on, which was Tennessee's defensive plan was, okay, bend but don't break, and then let your guys make plays. And that's exactly what happened. Their guys made plays on defense. Their studs played like studs at different times, especially Jeffrey Simmons, to allow them to stay in the game and win the game. And then offensively, it's kind of the same picture. Derrick Henry did what Derrick Henry does. A.J. Brown was able to do what A.J. Brown does. And, you know, the game plan, Nate talked about it with me on the episode last night. The game plan is really straightforward for Tennessee. Everybody knows what Tennessee is going to do. But can you stop what they're going to do? And can they play enough mind games knowing that you know what they're going to do and how do they play off that? And look, it's not that crazy what the result was. This game went exactly how Tennessee wanted it to. And the Bills only lost by three. And they still probably should have won if Josh Allen doesn't fall and Simmons doesn't make a tremendous play. Not even including and talking about all the holding penalties and all the ridiculous things that went against the Bills. Okay, to that though, I thought that this is the reason I think they lost on that play. It's very simple. Josh Allen was way too slow getting getting back up to that line. If you're in shotgun, great. And then the play is to get to, to get back under center and quarterback sneak it, great. But dude, it was like watching him go in slow motion. Everyone knows it's the ball's going to stay in Josh Allen's hands. Hmm. So, and <laughs> to that play, I mean, dude, in 2020, the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins led the league 
eighty on an they had an eighty percent conversion rate on fourth down, uh-huh. and it almost looked like the moment caught him by surprise. That oh my gosh, you know I don't know. I, well, I didn't know that this line that I'm dealing with it was going to come down to my offensive line protecting me enough to get there. And it's almost like this hesitation just took over him. And what I thought was it, it was an opportunity for Josh Allen to assert himself as the king of the AFC in that uh-huh. moment. And he regressed. Uh-huh. That, that's just, I, I love the way he played the entire game. But in that moment, th- see, these are the moments that the, this is what the playoffs going to demand out of you. And he he overcame his demon of the AFC Chiefs. Oh my God. Thank goodness for that. It was amazing. And everyone's super proud of him. I'm super proud of him. Don't get me wrong. But when you have a chance to put a nail in the coffin against a team that has a, a, a secondary who's depleted, mm-hmm. right? And you, you walk up to the line the way he did, it kind of made me feel like I legit... I didn't, I didn't get up and get mad and go, oh my gosh, or this and that, go replay. No, I was just like, no, we deserve to lose. And it was fair and square. That's how I felt when that play happened. Um, so on a scale of one to 10 real quick, how would you grade how the offense did against, I'm talking, I, I know Josh Allen did well, right? Uh-huh. But the offense as a whole, on a scale of one to 10, how did the offense do against Tennessee's defense? Oh, I'm going to give them like a seven and a half. I mean, they put up 31 points. They moved the ball almost at will at times. They were just inefficient in the red zone. Yeah. Um, that was something that was a difference in the game. They got three when they needed to get six. Um, that was something that bit Kansas City in the butt the week before. Um, and it's something we've seen with the Bills happen before. It's the reason, I mean, amongst others, but it was a large reason why the Bills lost to Houston in the playoffs in yeah. 2019. Um, but I, I, I thought they moved the ball well. Allen was able to take advantage of a lot of things. Uh, Diggs had a night. I mean, if you're looking at the team, like Emmanuel Sanders had five catches for 91 yards on eight targets. Diggs, nine catches, 89 yards, and a touchdown on 11 targets. Beasley, seven catches, 88 yards, oh, well, one Beasley's touchdown, a topic nine of, targets. Uh, yeah, and, and Beasley's a topic that we're going to talk about later, too, which is Yes, awesome. we are. Like, the Bills' weapons did well. Josh Allen did well. Um, the offensive line was meh again, but at the end of the day, the Bills put up 31 points. They were in position to win the game. They were just inefficient in the red zone, and that fourth down stop, uh, there was a lot going on there, like, First, again, credit to Jeffrey Simmons. Like, dude made a play. He knew what was coming, um, and he took advantage of it, and he's a great player, and great players make great plays sometimes, and he did that, and he won the game for his team. But there was a lot going on. You know, Sean McDermott talked about it that – and you can even see it. Like, the side judge gives the Bills the first down, but then we see the – center field judge come through and move the ball back a half yard and that's where yeah. they reset it and then we ended up learning or, or thinking that you know it came from the sky judge and it was overruled but McDermott didn't really know that and they thought they had a first down and then it was well they're still going to review it and then they didn't review it and all of that contributed to I think a little bit of chaos and then yeah Josh snaps the ball and he takes like a step back before he goes forward and it wasn't tremendously 
executed overall. Um, yeah. But but again, it falls into that bucket of the it, it, the poor execution and inefficiency in the red zone, and it's unfortunate that it had to end like that, and it was brutal. <laughs> I'm going to give the Bills a six. Okay, right? they got out coached. Look, no one no one respected Mike Vrabel until this game. This game, um, and it, it, well, to the point of Mike Vrabel is a real deal coach. He's a real deal coach now. He he didn't have everything um, that he needed to really defeat the, you know to beat the Buffalo Bills, and he figured out a way to do it. Taylor Luan goes out. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm playing devil's advocate here, but dude, we were locked and loaded. Matt Milano was in. Starla Tulale was in. Everyone was healthy, and we go into Tennessee with all the momentum in the world coming out of Kansas City. And this guy is so cocky in his play calling with his with his coverages. Dude, he was playing three man deep with a four man rush. Um, well, that was the that's how the formation was inside the red zone. He was like, he can't fit this ball in here. And I'm saying to myself, watching this game, and I'm just like, why why aren't we trying to freaking fit that ball in there? Let's try it. I mean, their their defensive backs are they playing that good and that sticky? to where we can't get any separation with Stefan Diggs or Emmanuel Sanders, I'd say punch him back in the face with that mentality. But again, it was a really close game. I think the Bills, uh, you know, they had a decent game plan, don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, it was brutal the way it ended. It was brutal because mm. this was a game, again, where we're looking at the Bills as this is it. We're going to be the kings of the AFC. And... Uh, now it's up for grabs. So <laughs> here we stand. I want to talk about, I've been doing this um, since the last podcast and I kind of want to keep it running. I like it a lot. Two baddest bills, which is the bills that played the greatest and two saddest bills, uh, the bills that played the saddest. So I'm going to let you start with your two baddest and then I'll go and so on and so forth. So who were your two baddest bills of the Titans game? Ooh, I, I struggled with this one because I thought there were I'd also, I, I don't want to go Josh Allen. I thought Josh Allen, Josh Allen had a tremendous game. I, don't, I didn't want to go for any like the standout guys. And I also tried to go with like a more literal usage of it, like the two baddest dudes. And so one, I'm going to go with Tremaine Edmonds. He has been on a tear the last several weeks, and I thought he played a very strong game again against Tennessee. He had a couple plays in the run game against Derrick Henry where he popped Derrick Henry and stopped Derrick Henry in his tracks. And that is a tough thing to do for anyone. And even if people want to say, well, they're like Tremaine Edmonds is big and they're both the same size. No, Derrick Henry is built like Godzilla. Tremaine Edmonds is like big, but he's lanky. He's like a pterodactyl. Yeah. It's hard to stop Godzilla if you're a pterodactyl <laughs> just because you're big and you got wingspan. And it continues again that streak of Tremaine Edmonds just sideline to sideline, starting to take proper angles, starting to read and react, less thinking on the field and more just using his abilities and connecting it to his mentals. He, I thought he had a strong game. He had a good game in coverage too, just like he did the week before against Kansas City. Now, obviously, things started to fall off the rails a little bit towards the back end of the game um, for the defense as a whole. But he was one of my baddest bills. And as was, I'm going to go, this next one is just off of literal, literally one play, Dawson Knox. He broke his hand, and he stayed in the game to execute that two-point conversion pass that he threw with a broken hand. He ran that play with a broken hand. I think that's a baller move. He went out yeah. right after. Like, he played 
with a broken hand. And maybe I'm, <laughs> I just think that like the two baddest bills, if I'm thinking of something that's bad, dude, dude is bad. Well, how bad is he? I mean, he played football with a broken hand. I don't care if it was for one snap or a hundred dude play with a broken hand. Also, a, a, maybe a potential guy who could have creeped in, um, Micah Hyde stood toe-to-toe with Derrick Henry, and he got trucked, but he brought him down. And that takes a bad man <laughs> to look into the face of a full-speed runaway freight train Derrick Henry and take that blow and just – he didn't really so much tackle Derrick Henry as he did get, like, trampled by him and then Henry, yeah. like, tripped up over him. But, mm-hmm. I mean, that's no fear, man, when you just know you're going to get wrecked, but you do it anyway. Like, that's bad. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean <laughs> – and we can keep we can keep going on and on about the heroics and um, but there there were two that stood out and there were two that didn't so my two that stood out my baddest bills um, I'm gonna go with third and Cole shout out to circling the wagons podcast love you man um, he showed you know Cole Beasley showed up showed mm-hmm. up on third down big time and in the end zone before the half that was huge yeah every everyone was covered. Josh Allen rolls out to the right, makes the play happen. And it's Cole Beasley. It's awesome. And that's what you want to see out of these receivers that were paying a, a, a pretty penny, right? And um, so my second baddest bill right here, it's going to be Josh Allen. Mm. With the usual, it just feels great to say he had a usual 300-yard game. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like the like expectation. It's oh, yeah, no, yeah, 300 yeah. yards. And, 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 and you know what? Like, like, did I did I get on to him about you know slowing down, going up to the line? Yeah, I did. But you know what? He's still the second baddest bill of that game because he still put up 300 yards and he trusted Dable, win or lose. You know they trust each other. Um, but um, you know it, it, it's interesting, you know, to sit here and have that peace, knowing no matter which team we're going to play, no matter how big and bad. Josh Allen has showed up and the stats are there to prove it in any game against any top contender. So I'm really proud of that. Um, okay. So let's get into the saddest bills. I'll let you start. So I took not a different direction, but I was finding it hard to narrow down on like individual players. So I went with two position groups as my saddest. Cause I thought collectively they let us down into a degree. First is the defensive line for the Buffalo Bills, a group that has been very good for the majority of this year. But coming into this game against the Tennessee Titans, Ryan Tannehill Tannehill had been the most sacked QB in the NFL. The Titans were 30th in pass blocking efficiency, and they had given up the fourth most pressures. They were a maligned unit. Taylor Lewan goes down, and they hadn't executed well. Ryan Tannehill does not get sacked in this game. Um, he escaped contained several times. Gregory Rousseau had a couple snaps where he did not close down, um, coming down the line of scrimmage. And that allowed Henry to cut back and have those big gashing runs, including the 76 yard touchdown run. And also including the run where, uh, Micah Hyde had to bravely step in front of Derrick Henry. The defensive line did not have a good game. They are collectively, um, and maybe not Jerry Hughes, Jerry Hughes had a good game. But collectively, I I was sad when it came to the defensive line. And flip side, also in the trenches, the offensive line. Josh Allen, especially at this point in the year, he's third in the number of dropbacks when under pressure with 79. Only Carson Wentz with 80 and Jared Goff with 85 have more dropbacks when under pressure so far this year. 
And, you know, we talked about it a little earlier in this episode, Tennessee wasn't blitzing. They weren't doing anything crazy. They were just running some games up front and the O-line was getting beat. Uh, Spencer Brown got beat really bad by Danico Autry that led to the hit on Allen that led to the Bayard pick. Um, Simmons had his way a couple times and just the offensive line collectively, you know, maybe a bit sad again. Dang, man. Well, I'm actually going to have to, I have to go off of what you said. Um, you know, my two saddest bills, I'm just going to say who they are and I'm going to say why. Uh, Starla Tulele mm. and Groot. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it was fair. Look, I have to put it out there for old Groot because, um, you know, I'll, I'll start with him instead of Star. Look, this is what I thought was going to happen last week. I was hoping he would excel, but <laughs> they went after the young guy. They said, this, de- this defense is stout, but if we hit them most at their weakness, maybe we'd, we could exploit a way to get Derrick Henry going. And that's exactly what happened. It was up to Rousseau to figure out that you saw like they would pull all the way left on the runs and then Henry would have the option to go right because you have Rousseau giving him a wide open gap and not really closing it enough to, you know, force him to the left side. And, um, you know, that was something that I had a feeling could have happened and it did happen. And we paid dearly for that, uh, 20 attempts for 143 yards. But here was the thing. He's it, it, when Derrick Henry is averaging 7.2 yards a carry, mm. you're gonna lose. I, I don't I don't care which team you are, um, how great you are. You can't allow a guy like him to average that much on prime time. So, and, and you know, we talk about Star. I, I just felt like he was getting bum rushed, and I, I believed he would have excelled. You know, this was a game where they basically, uh, you know, he became the captain of the ship and for that defensive line. And it just felt like the whole game, you didn't know who the captain was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh. Derrick Henry was like, I'm the captain now. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> there's no other way to put it. And uh, he stole the ship. He stole the keys and he sent Buffalo packing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, for crying out loud, we had a, another Josh Norman Biff on Mario Addison, one of our vets. It was embarrassing. Um, and, and this is not what you thought was going to happen against a, a team that the Bills have shut down several times Well, every single matchup we faced them. Uh, so <laughs> now Derrick Henry is the Buffalo Bills kryptonite, whereas we were his kryptonite. So mm. the tables turn tables. How does it go? You get it. My, how the turn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we're fast forwarding here. Um, right. Uh, also, ladies and gentlemen, you probably may have heard some sound in the background. I apologize. Uh, I have a son and my wife Mm. is taking care of my son. Unacceptable. (laughs) Unacceptable. Unprofessional and unacceptable. (laughs) Yeah. Poor guy. Keep him in your prayers. Yeah. He has an on and off cold, but he's doing good. Um, anyways, long story short here, let's wrap this up, right? We're fast forwarding the season and the Buffalo bills. It looks like they still have a top three, easiest schedule um i don't think that's going to change but Mm. maybe teams get better i don't know i don't want to jump the gun i'm not one i don't like to do that anymore (laughs) i've learned my (laughs) lesson especially from this week uh do the buffalo bills get the number one seed what do you think i think they do um at the end of the day this loss sucks and it stings and it's brutal but the Bills are still a very good football team. I would say they're probably the most complete team 
um, especially amongst the big dogs in the AFC. Baltimore is up there a bit in terms of being a complete team, which is a huge shout out to them considering how many injuries they've had, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but you, you know, you're spot on with the strength of schedule. The bills have the easiest remaining strength of schedule going down the stretch from here on out second to them. Uh, so the second easiest schedule remaining belongs to the Tennessee Titans who hold the tiebreaker over us, obviously now having the same record in the victory, but Tennessee has some, some tough games. They have to play the Rams. They have to play the saints. They play Kansas city this week. And then they also have to play the Steelers. They also play the 49ers. Um, they have one more game left against the Colts. So that those are opportunities where they could drop a couple. And I think they will drop a couple of those. Kansas city is the real, um, hurdle I still think I know a lot of people wanted to you know shout that the wicked witch was dead um when the bills beat Kansas City but I still think they are a force to be reckoned with um I think they're going to clean up some of the things on the defensive side of the ball and turn back into a bit of the Kansas City we've seen before and I don't think the defense is bad as it is I don't think it'll be that bad as we get towards the end of the year to the point that it'll hold back the Chiefs as a team but they Mm -hmm. still have some tough games they play Green Bay they play Dallas they play the Steelers and then their division games they've already lost one of the Chargers even though it was a bit of an odd game they lost to the Raiders last year Denver's not looking great but might be able to steal one and then again, looking at Baltimore, those are like the really the top four that I'm seeing competing for that one. Baltimore's got their division games left. Cincinnati, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, all those teams are going to kind of eat each other a little bit. And then Baltimore does play Green Bay and the Rams as well. I just see those other teams vying for that number one seed. I see them dropping more games than the Bills just on the strength of their competition and what their schedule looks like. The Bills have some tough games still. Um as well, but I I think the Bills are a more complete team. I think they're a better team in several regards, and then when you combine that with the strength of schedule, um, I, I I don't see any reason to get off that train. I think they have just as good a shot as anybody, and I would not write them off for that one seed at all. And and here's the thing, Ant, man, I <laughs> they're handing an AFC Championship berth. I mean, they're just giving it to the Bills this year. Mm-hmm. The rest of this schedule should be a piece of cake. Yes. Okay, we have another hiccup. It's going to piss us off. We're going to get over it. Whatever the playoffs start. Um, I, I mean, this has to be the year. I, I don't know what else the Bills need. You know, and, and okay, do we need to prove ourselves again? Huh? Like, no, we don't. The Bills got the monkey off the back last year. We won playoff games, right? Then we lay an egg in the AFC Championship. But like... This is a year where, look, the rest of this, the rest of this year, you can literally work on your depth. Take care of your division, right? And work on your depth. Get them better. Maybe sign, and we're going to talk about trades in a little bit. Sign or trade someone else uh, to beef up what's depleted. You know what I mean? We're uh-huh. starting to see where we're depleted. It's John Feliciano. I, I did not want to say it, but... Maths was right last week, man. I don't know if he's the answer anymore. I, I, I feel bad because I love his personality. Um, I, I love how he fits in the team. But, man, it's like if you have one sour apple on the defensive line or the offensive line, everyone looks like crap. And I'm tired of it, man. You know what I mean? And then it's like, oh, do we need now, – now Dawson Knox is hurt. <laughs> what should we do there? And, um, you know, it goes straight into uh, the next point here. So, yes, I'm going to say before I get into the next point, yeah, 
I think the Bills do win the number one seat. I mean, for crying out loud, what else do you want? What else do you need? It's it's there for the taking. Um, so we're, we're, we're in the bye week now, and, and trades are starting to pop up. Um, rumors are starting to show up. Deshaun Watson, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is literally on the brink to going uh, on going to Miami. It, it's probably going to happen within next within the next week. And if I'm Miami, I'm Brian Flores. I don't care. I'm trading for him. Whatever comes with it comes with it, um, because my job is in trouble, and I need to buy some time to figure something out. <laughs> because Tua wasn't the answer. Uh, Brissett wasn't the answer. You have a bunch of pieces and everyone, all your good players want to get traded. So, <laughs> um, but let's talk about the bills here, right? I mean, the tight end position. Now we look at Dawson Knox needing surgery as far as I know. And you got Hollister and Evan Ingram popping up now. <laughs> and now uh, with the game happening uh, right now, we're recording on Thursday night, obviously OBJ. No, <laughs> but um, look, what, what are you thinking as far as um, where the bills could upgrade, should upgrade um, you name it as far as trades go during the bye week or free agency? You know, there are some tight end flyers that you've already mentioned. I also throw in OJ Howard in there as well as potential guys who could fill in and maybe have some upside, but at the very least could be a band-aid while Knox is out. But I would focus more on the offensive line if possible. Greg Thompson from Cover One did a tremendous job on Twitter today laying out some ways of some potential trades that the Bills could do. One of the guys he targeted was Andrew Norwell, the guard for Jacksonville, who is a really quality player that people just don't really talk about because he's in Jacksonville. He was good in Carolina, good at Ohio State, really developed, um, has another year left on his contract after this year. Greg broke it down of how we could do the financial gymnastics of being able to fit him into this year and potentially giving him an extension uh, next year. He's only 29 years old. I would love that move. I I want to upgrade the offensive line. I don't feel confident and comfortable holistically with the offensive line. I think Spencer Brown is a really good story and he's ahead of schedule, but the fact that we had to push him into a starting role this year because of the holes we had on the offensive line tells you a lot about the state of the Bills offensive line, especially amongst the coaching staff and the front office. So Andrew Norwell, guard from Jacksonville, is my number one priority target. And I also wouldn't throw out potentially looking at something maybe in the running back depth. Um, Greg and I on the Cover One Fantasy football show tonight were somehow got on the topic of different bills um trade targets even though it was a fantasy football show and we we posited the idea of someone like miles sanders maybe who i would take in a heartbeat on the buffalo bills so i wouldn't rule out running back you know the bills went after Le'Veon bell last year trying to bring him to buffalo he ended up going to kansas city so you know they are always looking to upgrade any and every position but we have some evidence that points to certain positions they have wanted to upgrade in the past um, and with the running back room being the same this year as really it was last year, except you have Brita instead of Yeldon, I think running back could be a spot where you could look as well. That's interesting, you know, and um, <laughs> I, I mean, Bruce, uh, Bruce Nolan on this network has Who? No, said, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, has said several times that if you get the right guys on the, on the O-line that play to your strengths, of your running backs, they look exceptionally better. And mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. Um, maybe that guy you're talking about does do that. Maybe we don't even have to trade for running back. Um, you're yeah, starting he's a to see, mauler. Good in the run game, good in his pass, probably would be a most definite upgrade. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I'll have to look. I'll have to read more into that. Um, I know I actually tweeted back and forth with uh, with Craig about um, you know Hollister, and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean just to look at how Hollister gets beat out by Tommy Sweeney, it almost feels absurd, right? Um, but there are some things that maybe Tommy Sweeney is just way more familiar with. Maybe when it comes down to running the football, um, certain formations with Dawson Knox not botching those things up. But you're looking at the situation right now at tight end, and we're going to lose that momentum now with him gone. And then when he gets back, see, here, here's the tweet I said, and um, it got a little bit of attention, and I got into some interaction with it. Look, Dawson Knox is not a liability. His injury is the liability, right? Uh-huh. Um, it, you don't want to put – like, I love Dawson Knox, and he's a very – um, core piece of the offense. And I don't think for one second we need to replace him. What we need to do is maybe find someone who can do some of the things he can do. Cause Tommy Sweeney can't do jack shit that he can do. And it's very blatantly out there on tape. Look at it. It's no joke. This guy, I, I, I don't know what else to tell anybody. I, I don't think he's a good sub in for Dawson Knox. Um, and you know, what do the bills do now? With Dawson knocks out, are we just going to end up having to run with an extra lineman eligible as a tight end to run a heavy uh, run, you know, a run game? I maybe because that's that that's probably the only way to go about it now, um, which sucks. So it's like, well, if we trade for Hollister, what is it going to cost now? Um, if we trade for Evan Ingram, is he even going to be healthy uh, a couple of weeks? going into the, you know, when he gets, he becomes eligible to play all that jazz. But I'm wondering if we sign someone now, we, we trade for someone right now, will they be eligible to play in the next game? That'd be interesting. Um, especially with the time frame that we have, but you know, it, it's going to be interesting also too. It's like, well then, okay, well, you know what? No, these guys that are getting paid a ton of money at the wide receiver position now need to make their money. Right. Um, Cole Beasley's complaining, complaining about not getting the ball. Everyone's complaining about not getting the ball because Dawson Knox is emerging, um, which I believed was inevitable. Um, as long as, uh, they utilized him and, you know, he started to, uh, they started to work to his strengths, but you know, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see what the bills do because it could make or break the chemistry, right? We saw a lot of great chemistry with, with Josh Allen and Dawson Knox, what happens if you bring in a guy like Jacob Hollister and he steals a spotlight um, or Evan Ingram and he steals a spotlight, you know, like maybe they're thinking about that too. Let him recover, let him keep his confidence because if we bring another, another guy in, maybe that's going to knock his confidence and he's not going to be effective in the offense. And it just starts to mess things up. So, but you look, I mean, we're, we're sitting here, we're sitting pretty at four and two going into the bye week So, um, you know, what are you thinking the Bills have to sharpen up on uh, as, as far as schematically maybe, or, or yeah, obviously we talked about personnel already, but um, what, are you, what are you seeing right now that the Bills need to sharpen up on as we get into this next final stretch of this humongous <laughs> rest of the season? <laughs> it's just a little important this yeah. season. Um, number one for me is the, the red zone efficiency for this team. I mentioned it in regards to the Tennessee game, but... Right. And granted, some of it is 
you know, really focused into a couple of the games this year. So maybe the problems are potentially a bit more overblown. But right now, they're sitting at 26th in red zone touchdown percentage at 55.17%. Last year in 2020, they finished 12th and were operating at a 61.04% clip. So six out of every 10, they were running touchdowns last year, which not terrible. Green Bay was first at 76.8 and they had an unreal year, but You know, the Bills sitting at that clip, I would like to see that increase with the effectiveness of this offense and how lethal they are and the talent that they have at the weaponry um, or at the weapon spots on the periphery. And then having Josh Allen, this this grouping should be higher. They should be operating minimum 60%, but ideally getting in close to the 70% touchdown um, range. And I think we need to see that. We're going to continue to see these coverage schemes from defenses where they run these shells teams are not blitzing josh allen this year they're sitting back in coverage in general making him have to beat you consistently and consecutively to get the ball down the field and then they're continuing to operate that same philosophy when you get into the red zone so being able to take advantage of that knowing that's what you're going to see so i'd like to see the bills offense run more leveled reads and concepts maybe even run the ball a little more in the red zone and try and get some easy yards um, that way and just make the defense have to continue to account for that. But red zone efficiency is a big one for me. And then the pass protection, you know, I mentioned it earlier. They're, they're 23rd in pass blocking efficiency, but Josh Allen third in number of dropbacks when under pressure with 79 and he's only responsible for 10.1% of the pressures that he's seen, um, which is one of the lowest in the league. So it's not like he's just sitting back there holding the ball or running into pressure himself. Yeah. I, I, I love Josh Allen and what he's able to do for this team. And again, with the weapons that we have, this team is built to win now. They're successful. They had a great offensive year last year. They have had a strong offensive year to start this, this year and this season. It would be a shame if the offense is held back because of inconsistent offensive line play. Now, I'm hoping, in addition to sharpening things up in the bye week, I think the offensive line has the potential to get better because every single day, Spencer Brown, in theory, gets better. Every day, in theory, Darrell Williams gets more comfortable at right guard and the line gels a little bit. So I think you have a high probability of seeing the offensive line at the end of the regular season just naturally being a much better grouping, yeah. um, even if it's the same five as we've seen the last couple of weeks. I just just because of more comfortability and chemistry developing and experience for Spencer Brown, I think you have a high probability of seeing that. But those are my two focuses right now, shoring up the offensive line, maintaining consistency from an execution um, and preparation standpoint, and then that red zone efficiency on offense. Those are my two biggest things that we need to sharpen up. You know, it's interesting you're, you're talking about that because <clears throat> for me, when, whenever I look at an offense, what I am scared of is very simple. Can this team put up a lot of points? Mm. I, I'm, not, I'm not ever really scared about who's on their team. I'm more worried about can they put up points because the Bills are putting up points. They're doing a lot of things right, mm-hmm. and we're nitpicking because we want them to dominate and we want them to win in every phase because um, we see every single little detail that's happening on the roster. But we're going to look back at these days and we're going to say to ourselves, damn, did we have a really good team? And we may even regret talking about releasing John Feliciano. <laughs> um, but, or you moving on from him. Because, yeah, it sucks. We've got to talk about it. But, you know, where we can improve on and you want him to do better. But here's my thing. I, I did start to do some thinking. I did start to do some research. And here's the thing. 
we need to find more consistency on getting pressure with a four combo. Whichever one, whichever four that is, I understand we're always rotating and whatever have you, but like, I don't know, like there should be a group of four with our four, three base defense that we should always trust are going to start and are going to deliver. Um, and yes, we can rotate them out throughout the game. Don't get me wrong, but, uh, man, I love the Russo boogie star and Oliver combo. I, I think it's so versatile and I think it's, it's stellar and it's something that I think just pops off the screen when you, when you, when you, when you watch those four play together and they're the future. You got Oliver Rousseau and Boogie um, that are that are going to take over this defensive line probably next year. Maybe we don't see Jerry Hughes. I don't know. But, you know, my thing is we need to get more consistency out of that group um, when we're playing these big games because then we're wondering, okay, like, what's going to be the solution this game? Who's going to be the guy we rely on this game? Because if you look at Tennessee, they know who they're relying on. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they know who they're going to turn to when, when they need to turn the tide. Right. And here's, what's interesting is we don't have that guy. Isn't that crazy? We're yeah. sitting here with a massive rotation, 11 guys, I believe at the defensive line. And we don't know if we have the guy. And that's really weird. Um, to say this after so long. Um, <laughs> now, am I saying, do we need Mario Williams? You know, I wish, but maybe just a guy that you're, they're afraid of. If he's on the field, they're afraid of. They need to double him. Um, I, don't, I don't know if, if Star is going to be that guy the rest of the season uh, because I think he got a little bit exploited in this last game. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping it's Rousseau. You know, I'm hoping he's the one that's going to keep popping off the screen, getting better, getting better, improving. And he did. Uh, was this game a setback? Yeah. But, uh, you know, th- that's what I want to see improve is that group, the defensive line group. I want to see them improve. I want to see them have more of an identity. And uh, especially going towards the end of the season where we're going to start seeing, um, you know, a-, a lot more things that are going to be cemented going into the playoffs. So, uh, Ant, I got one more question for you. <laughs> it's really quick uh, before I let you go here. It's been an honor, um, you know, having you on, you know, and calling you a friend. So who's your dream Super Bowl matchup this year? Oh, like who do I want to see the Bills play? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Well, I mean, I don't know, I don't know whichever day, teams, I don't know. I don't know somehow <laughs> let's, I mean, do we, do I have to be realistic or can I be like, no, no, this is dreaming. You're, you're dreaming right now. <laughs> oh, who has, Obviously, I, my, I mean, my dream matchup is going to be the easiest. Well, okay, let's perfect dream matchup that I know is like a guaranteed win. Give me the Buccaneers so the Bills can beat Brady in the Super Bowl to win their first Super Bowl. That's the dream. Poetic justice. Like, yes, I want the poetic justice, but I am very pragmatic and practical in my approach. Give me the weakest team possible that I can face in the Super Bowl that just gets there with a string of victories that people don't know how they put them together and how they won. So give me, and also some teams that have like weaknesses that the Bills can exploit. So I'd rather not face Tampa. I would rather not face the Rams. I'm actually okay facing the Cardinals. I recognize that they're undefeated, but I think the Bills match up well with them, knock on wood, and the Bills could 
<laughs> exploit some things with them. But yeah. give me, I don't know, give me Seattle somehow climbing back in it and Russell Wilson pulling off some magic. Give me San Francisco pulling it together and give me yeah. the Bills versus Jimmy Garoppolo or something a little. So who is the, who's the guy though? Like I need to know what the matchup is. Which one? Pick it. Is it Brady? Ugh. Is it is it is it Rodgers? Like for sure. I'll go just for the poetic aspect. Give me the Buccaneers. Bills beat the Bucks. The Bills beat Brady to claim their first Super Bowl. I'll go with that. <laughs> all right. Cool, cool. <laughs> I want Allen and Rodgers, man. I want all the smoke. I want the MVP mm. from last year, and I want him to det- I want him to de- dethrone Rodgers this year. Mm. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But, uh, dude, it, it has been a fun one. We're about to hit an hour on this podcast. For those of you who have listened this whole way, thank you so much for – you know, trekking with us on this journey of <laughs> the brutal Buffalo Bills, right? Um, it, again, thank you so much, Ant, for your time. Uh, feel free to give everyone, listeners alike, NFL listeners, Buffalo Rumbling listeners alike who are listening right now, where they can find um, all your content. Sure. Well, first of all, it was an honor to be here again. I appreciate you having me back and just being the person that you are because we get along and we are friends in real life. So that's a fun thing. And yeah, I'm Anthony Prohaska, host of Disguise Coverage on the Cover One Sports Network. I'm also one of the co-hosts for the Cover One Post Game, live after every single Bills game. I am also active in the Cover One Film Room with Eric Turner. We go through the All-22 footage and break down uh, film every single week for the Buffalo Bills. I'm also uh, one of the hosts of the Cover One Fantasy Football Show, so I'm very active in those regards. And you can find me on Twitter at pro underscore underscore ant. That's pro, two underscores, A-N-T. And that's me. Awesome. And I am simply Buff Hub. (laughs) My name is Steve Vega. Thank you so much for joining me on Buffalo Rumblings. It's been an honor. All of you, hang in there. The Buffalo Bills are going to come back. They're going to do well this season. Go Bills. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.